Podcasting from Studio 2520, somewhere near Akron, Ohio, and live via satellite from the campus of Otterbein University, Westerville, Ohio. This is Tackling the Chicane. Yeah, uh, little proclaimers for you. One of Scotland's best imp- exports, some would One say. One of the best album covers ever. It's a badass. Have ever seen the album cover that this song came off of? Yeah, I have. Uh, actually, the proclaimers, big fans of Hibernian Football Club in Edinburgh. I don't know if you so, see that. Yeah, the greatest <laughs> hits one there. So, uh, you know, stuff. Know. well, uh, we've got a fully loaded show today after a bit of time off, we are back, uh, just to give you the rundown, we're going to get into some formula one news in general, couple things making headlines today. Uh, we're also of course going to get into all of the on track action from the Circuit of the Americas at the United States Grand Prix, and there was certainly plenty of action to discuss there. On the soccer side of things, we're going back to Scotland for the first weekend of video assistant referee in the Scottish Premiership. We're talking Hearts v. Celtic, and we're going to cap things off with some English Premier League action Tottenham Hotspur versus Newcastle. So plenty of stuff to get into. Yeah, I was I was not aware that um, the VAR was making its debut. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was kind of interesting, but we'll get to that, I suppose. Yeah, um, we will definitely discuss that. But, so let's uh, start with... Uh, Start with some F1 news. Yeah. We've got uh, an American driver coming. Yeah. Hopefully. Logan Sargent. Indeed. Williams, of all places, which they could use a little bit of help there. Yeah, uh, so I just I have a couple things on him, just overview. Uh, 21 years old, uh, Fort Lauderdale's finest here. We have some ties to Fort Lauderdale ourselves. Um, 27 starts in Formula 2. He's won two races, four podiums, and two poles. So this is uh, no slouch here coming to Williams. Of course, this is all with the, uh, I guess, catch with uh, assuming he gets his super license points, which... 
I'm assuming if Williams are announcing he's going to be driving for them next year, they're pretty confident in that. In the next, um, the next race, he needs to finish no, uh, no worse than fifth place or sixth place. If he, right now, he's got a two-point bonus coming for having accrued no penalties for the entire season. Wow. So basically, he just needs a fifth or sixth place finish um, to get the remaining uh, points that he needs for his super license, which I think is only two more points, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had mostly the same thing that you you had, where he's he's got two wins this year. I didn't realize he had quite that many podiums. Um, he's racing on uh, the Great Britain-based uh, Carlin race. Uh, sponsored team um and actually i i had a chance to take a look at both the f2 and the f3 profile um the car profile on their their corresponding websites uh very impressive looking cars and dare i say even more in my mind they're almost as more attractive than the formula one car Uh, really yeah get if you get a chance take a look on either one of those um, F2 or F3 sites and just pull up the team and it'll show you like a profile of each car. Mm-hmm. They seem a little more compact, a little less insect looking from the side. Yeah. F1 car has gotten so such a long wheelbase and such a strange um, transition from the front axle to say like the mid pod section. Mm-hmm. And uh, these cars just kind of look a little bit more classic to me. Sure. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't see any reason why, uh, you know, unless something really odd happens. They have a few more races left this year. Um, I don't see him not getting that super license. So that'll be, it's kind of a, it's kind of, um, what I want to say. I would like to see an American go to the American team, but. I guess any American driver in the series is a good thing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was reading up on him and it was interesting, whatever Williams racing, you know, the head guy is, I don't know his name, but he specifically made it clear that the nationality was not a key factor in their, you know, hiring basically of Logan Sargent, uh, which I thought was funny because, you would think, you know, you know, America is kind of a market that is just now coming to fruition for Formula One. So having an American driver is going to be, I think, a big ratings boost here. Well, basically, it's going to get a whole lot of people to pay attention to Williams, who never would have given them a second look. Exactly. Um, so follow the money follow the money with any sport and definitely uh in f1 so they're definitely look definitely looking for uh you know a driver that's going to to get more american people interested in that team especially if this guy ends up getting any kind of footage shot for the reality show yeah uh, which i'm sure they're hoping for but That'll be interesting to watch uh, as well. Yeah, exciting times over there at, well, 
maybe exciting times at Williams. Anything has to be better than Nicholas Latifi. So should be uh, it'll definitely be very exciting, uh, you know, as Americans watching one of our own going at it with the best drivers in the world. Yeah, and you, we're going to get a chance to see him uh, in action in both Mexico and Abu Dhabi because he's going to run uh, P1 practices in both those races. Yeah, so. so and he's going to actually, in Mexico, I believe it is going to be in, um, what is it, Latifi's car, and then in... Yeah. Abu Dhabi is going to run in Albon's car, so he's going to get some seat time between the, the two uh, the two vehicles. Yeah, so we'll have to keep a close eye on those FP1 sessions just to see what he can do. Yeah, I'll I'll be watching. I'd like to see uh, how how it shakes out. You know, we've had other Formula Two drivers that had pretty good success in their practice sessions this year. Um, his DeVries was, was yeah, one Nick that DeVries. came up and ran really well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it should be exciting. Yep. Second big story I think that you wanted to talk about was, uh, the Sauber, um, Audi sort of ac- not acquisition, but Audi has agreed to, um, be the powertrain provider for the Sauber team here starting in 2026. Yeah, this one's interesting. Um, Sauber right now is what most people would probably know as Alfa Romeo because that's kind of their main sponsor thing. Uh, it's always been a Sauber vehicle and before that Alfa Romeo acquisition. So uh, we've got three more seasons under the Alfa Romeo name before Audi takes over. Yeah. uh, Sauber's a Swiss team. Um, Audi has ties to Sauber um, way back. uh, Sauber just so happens to have one of the best, if not the best wind tunnel facility in, in Europe. So Audi has used Sauber facilities to do testing on road vehicles for a while. Um, I had heard or read that they also entertained Audi also entertained, uh, discussions with McLaren and Williams as well. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know how, how strong a possibility that that would be with either of those teams, perhaps Williams more than McLaren, um, at, at any rate. You know, the Alfa Romeo stamp on these Sauber cars is, is just money. There's no tie to Alfa Romeo, mechanically speaking. Yeah. Um, and I saw the livery for the potential livery for the Audi car looks pretty sharp, uh, with the exception of the wheel discs, which still look ridiculous to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it should be, it should be fun. They're going to run, like you said, um, they're going to alpha ends its sponsorship at the end of the 2023 season. Ferrari continues to supply the power unit until the end of 2025. And then of course the debut in 2026. So a team that kind of struggled with an identity because they're running mm-hmm. one manufacturer as a sponsor 
one manufacturer as a power unit provider and then they're they're their own company as well so maybe so, it'll it'll tighten them up a little bit yeah are we gonna get two years of just sauber or how's that gonna work i wonder i think i lost you oh. um yeah so getting back to the sauber uh audi audi um relationship um They've got already got 120 staff members with Hollywood. Um, so, and I, I expect that to increase probably as they get closer. It's a pretty big deal for Audi. They have to put their best forward. Last thing anybody wants to do is go up to the premier racing series in the entire world with um, stuff that's not going to perform well. So. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, we're hoping for a team that can be competitive, you know, right away. Uh, right now we're kind of at a situation where there's three teams that are much, much better than everyone else. So it'd be nice to have a team that, you know, can really run with the big, big dogs. And, you know, you'd expect an Audi back team to have plenty of cash. We, we definitely, definitely need more competition in the series we've talked about that the entire year mm -hmm. um, the races are still mildly entertaining some of them more than others this particular gp in the united states was a pretty fun race yeah um, it also had some pretty dead patches in it as well but for the most part it was one of the more entertaining races that we've seen this year um I think I'm not the, I can't be the only F1 fan that tires of the same, uh, three marquees. You almost yeah. don't have to watch qualifying because you can guarantee pretty much guarantee who the top three guys are going to be. Yeah. Uh, this season has shown it's one team in Red Bull that has completely nailed everything. Obviously, um, Ferrari, a team that has a fantastic car, but has shot themselves in the foot in a million times, it feels like. And Mercedes, who are good, but didn't really nail it this year. So uh, we can transition into this United States Grand Prix now. Uh, since you already kind of talked about, you know, this was actually a pretty fun race overall. Uh, we needed... Needed a few safety cars to kind of get things super entertaining towards the yeah. end there, but thankfully we had them. What we didn't need was one on lap one. Yeah. Um, you know, and so Perez has a ninth place start along with about, I'm watching the grid, um, you know, and I'm trying to write down <laughs> who all has a penalty and then i was just like fuck it it's half the field yeah basically so um that ended up not being other than it it sends all those guys to weird places where they shouldn't be um you know we had this the sights the sights spin on lap one turn one and uh sixth the sixth dnf 
for for him and that car for the season. So that dovetails with what you said about how it's amazing what a great car they have, what a great product they have. Who knows what the difference might be if it weren't the current pit team or pit box team or strategists or even drivers Mm -hmm. in that car. You know, you just, you just have to think the kind of like the early to middle like phase of this season when Ferrari was having an engine blow up every other race. If you take two or three of those away, you know, it's a whole different season. Uh, and of course we've, we've seen the strategy be awful pretty much the entire year. Uh, and that was kind of underscored by Carlos Sainz only win of the year when he he said, fuck you, basically I'm, I'm doing my own thing so I can win this race. Right. So it's, if you base, base logic on that, then it may not be the driver. It may be the strategy yeah, and the game plan. Now, I don't think there's a whole lot you can do. There's always going to be lap one, turn one incidents. Yeah, this was unfortunate. So, (laughs) you know, a spin and a light tap in in a lot of other series would put you in the pit for an extra 30 seconds. And in this series, um, it can... I've seen cars take hits and it doesn't seem to affect them. I, it all has to do with the, I think the drivetrain is the most fragile part. So yeah, we have this hit here where he spins out and we find out apparently it was a water leak in the car. And then later in this race, Fernando Alonso goes airborne and finishes this race. Yeah. So the side pods, on the F1 cars are where all of the radiators and coolant, say lines and, and all that kit is. If he took a decent hit on one of the side pods, which I think he did, it, it's conceivable that if you break one fitting or one hose or whatever, that you're done. If you can't, if you can't cool the car, you can't drive the car. Yeah. So it might have been just a fluke thing where it wasn't that hard of a hit, but it just hit in the right spot and if they broke a fitting or or a coolant line then that's it's not really a powertrain fail or power unit failure it's it's a an ans an ancillary failure that put them out and then yeah well, yeah i i agree you know another guy can put his car basically eight feet in the air slam it back down on the pavement and drive away so i i don't who the hell knows yeah it just seems like so there's no consistency with what can garage a car and what you know they can move on from uh at the beginning of this rate like right at the beginning am i the only one that thought there is no conceivable way carlos signs will be in first after the first few turns anyways um what you have with this grid at on the grid at Coda is lights out. You go up the big hill and then you're into a sharp left turn. That's is that not advantage to the guy in second place? 
already. I mean, you saw, you saw, uh, uh, Sainz does not have the best start in this. Verstappen takes off, and then Sainz is trying to, you know, correct his bad start, gets aggressive, and spins out. Yeah, I mean, it. A bad start is a bad start, and a good start is a good start. It makes it challenging when you're driving up a long grade into a sharp left-hand turn. But there are, there are other tracks that have turn one challenges as well. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, ideally, if and Verstappen seems to be very good at it, if he had been in the number one box, maybe he would have been – a second and a half ahead of everybody by the time he got to the first turn. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I, I don't know. I, it was unfortunate for science just seems to be the way Ferrari's luck has gone this year. Yeah. And it changes the dynamic of the race that you were supposed to see. It was, you know, a Ferrari on pole, um, and when he wrecks and is taken out, there's no real competition for Verstappen. Um, Leclerc had to start 12th because of a penalty, and that that's, to me, your closest competition for Max Verstappen at this moment in time. Uh, so we had to rely on some safety car issues uh, to get any sort of competitiveness in this race. Um, just one thing on the the start. Uh, Perez actually bumps into Valtteri Bottas. Uh, and I don't remember. No, that's not the one where he... Eventually, Bottas spins into gravel, which gives us a safety car. But, um, yeah, there, yeah, there were sure. a I'm not couple sure. issues. I'm not sure what caused that. I don't remember what caused Botas to spin, but that he was done after that. Yeah, also done. Uh, when you go into gravel with that, the way that car sits, I, you're asking for trouble. I don't know too many um, instances this year or other, in other years when you take a ride through that stuff because people don't understand. That's probably 18 to 20 inches deep. It's not mm-hmm. just like six inches of gravel. It's a pit, mm-hmm. and it's there to stop the car. So, yeah, um, they usually don't survive too well when they go through that stuff. Yeah, and we had a, a lot of people on the – a lot of drivers on the radio talking about the wind. Verstappen said he was struggling with the wind, and I wrote down – I wrote down the quote, struggling with the wind, and then Dash – leading race by three and a half seconds. So well, not sure I, how much what? of a struggle. I don't put any credence into his pitfalls when he's crying like a baby like that. <laughs> They're trying to make other teams question the decision, you know, their strategy. They're trying to fake, you know, that he's having issues. Meanwhile, he's half a second a lap or more faster than anyone else. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know... <laughs> I'm not that stupid and neither should anybody who watches this series on a regular basis. And he did it like three times. Yeah. You know, and it, the second time I was like, okay, you know, shut the fuck up. Basically <laughs> you're, as you're pulling away from everybody, you're struggling. 
so badly, right? Yeah, apparently not. Uh, lap 12, Hamilton pits, and uh, we hear the radio call, it's hammer time. I thought that was of note. Uh, yeah. And t- to be fair, Hamilton had a hell of a race. Yeah, I thought he did really well also. Um, you know, I... What else? What what else can you expect from the guy? A number two finish in this particular race is is about as good as you can get. Um, yeah, I would never have guessed the the two three finish order in the middle of this race, but that's the way it, it shook out. So, yeah, and and we'll get to it later because you know there's an instance that kind of makes this race competitive near the end uh, that allows that battle between Verstappen and Hamilton. Uh, I guess we, we can't talk about this race without talking about the Alonzo and Stroll crash. Uh, Probably one of the nastier incidents we've seen in a while. I can't recall a, a big wreck like that. Ugh, even I'm thinking Silverstone was the last time we might have saw a wreck even rivaling that, you know? Yeah. And that was lap, I have it as lap 22. Yeah. And basically that was the, we've seen it sort of happen before where if you position your car in such a way that you're basically going to drive over top of the car in front of you's either right or front or right or left front tire um bad things are going to happen and for him to have put that car in as airborne as it was and it wasn't completely it almost looked to me like the rear wheel stayed on the ground down yeah (laughs) it just picked it up enough that you could see the entire under the entire underside of the car for a split second and then it just flopped back down so yeah really strange yeah and uh i think the consensus was that this was stroll's fault it looked like he kind of jerked in front of alonzo like cutting him off sort of deal i think defensive moves look different on camera and in a replay than what they may or may not have been in real time mm-hmm. and you know you're you have to remember you're trying to watch your racing line your position on the track and both right and left rear view mirrors to see what the hell's going on behind you a lot of times it's a split second where alonzo could have been in the in his blind spot and then the next thing you know he's right there after his body's already decided to make that move or you know to yeah it's just real in real time on the track. It's way different. They can make these these incidents look a little bit different during the replay and slow motion because it seems like these guys have enough time to realize that, for example, Alonzo was right, you know, right on his left side. Um, I didn't see anything too egregious with that, but you know that all goes to review. And I, I don't recall. Stroll ended up being outed, or he was out, so. Maybe F1 mm-hmm. didn't want to – I don't believe he got penalized for anything there. So Well, 
you had the instance where Alonzo actually gets a penalty after this race because they deemed his car to be like unsafe to drive. Um, if you remember that, I didn't so, watch a lot of the post race coverage. Um, yeah, it happened after because I had already tuned. Yeah, I got to watch this one live, and I had already tuned out after at that point. And uh, I just saw it pop up like on Twitter or something that Alonzo got a penalty because his car was deemed unsafe, like there was too much damage, and that dropped him down to 15th, I think. So it was a time penalty? Yeah, so I don't remember what it was I don't remember where he finished pre-penalty, but I remember it was hefty enough to where uh, Vettel, everyone from Vettel down till Alonzo himself moved up a spot. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see that either. Of course, I didn't watch any of the post-race coverage. Yeah. I ran out of time, so that's. Yeah, he didn't really miss much there. Then there was, I, I saw your text after, later, maybe the next day, um, Brad Pitt decided that he was going to show up yeah. in somebody's pit the there. Was it Mercedes? Mercedes Garage, that's got to be their third or fourth celebrity guest we, of the year. You know, we have a, the, when this series comes to the U.S., we have a way of tarting it up a little bit. Like even Danica Patrick, as much as I like her and respect her as a driver, and some people may have a different opinion of that, but you know, some of the things she did in the early two thousands in IndyCar were pretty groundbreaking for a female. And I think she had pretty decent chops, but you know, we just seem so cheesy sometimes. I you know, think when, when they're in diff- yeah. when they're in like other parts of the world, I don't know. They don't play up the fact that they're in Japan or in yeah. Germany or you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, no talking about cowboy boots and <laughs> everything is a like huge. That. Yeah. Everything has to be a huge spectacle here. Right. So just imagine how they're going to, how stupid they're going to look in Vegas. Oh yeah. That's going to be nuts. That is going to be well, nuts. I, it, I was like, Jesus, okay, get we, we can get off the you know the Texas train here for a minute. We're in the United <laughs> States, right? Yeah. Other than that, that, the circuit is really cool. I think it's a challenging track. Um, the observation tower is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, I that kind of makes me think of you know there was some discussion. I don't remember what I was listening to exactly, but you know, there was some talk about how many races are a good fit in the U S for F one. Well, if you ask me three is three is the absolute limit. We do not need any more races in this country than three. No, don't start looking to, you know, go on a street course in New York city or, you know, Vegas, Texas and Miami. That's good enough. Yeah, you got your three regions, you know, right. roughly. Yep. And, and uh, I don't want to see any more F1 in this country because then it becomes 
Americanized to the point where, you know, it's no longer the world championship championship. Right. So, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think three is plenty. Uh, honestly, I think two is plenty, but, um, yeah, that in terms of that topic, that's that. Yeah. Well, and you know, maybe they're hedging their bet with Vegas. Got to remember Vegas and Miami are not permanent courses. No. So, you know, Miami could get tired of it and say, Hey, screw that. You we don't want you back, which I can't imagine. They probably made so much money <laughs> and we'll see what's going to happen in Vegas. I saw on the F1 site that the ticket dates have been released. I didn't even look, um, I would have to, something financially would have to happen really good for us to pay $1,200 <laughs> a seat to go watch that race. Yeah, the most, I'm thinking, and this is just off the cuff, the most feasible one for us would be Miami. If that, I think it would be the most affordable. Yeah, most affordable. I mean, we, we have relatives in the general vicinity. So, right. Are you listening, Dad, if you're still listening to the podcast? <laughs> uh, the yeah, there you go. Duplex finished. The Patriarch. Three. The Patriarch. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Gary. Get that <laughs> yeah. other side finish there. What we might be down for uh, the Miami GP next year. <laughs> we can dream. Yep. So Gasly gets a five second penalty for exceeding the 10 car length limit. Yeah, uh, this was total bullshit. Car. Now, you can't tell me that. In all the other races this year, when a safety car was out on track, that somebody didn't commit this same foul or penalty. I saw cars all spread out all over the place this year when the safety car was out. Um, I don't, apparently, either he hung out too long back that far and somebody actually noticed, or he was told to, hey, gather it up, and he didn't. But I just, I was like, well, that's a weird one. I haven't seen that one before. So I saw a video posthand. I think what had happened in my interpretation of this is that the car in front of him just took off during the safety car and he got busted because he didn't, basically didn't react fast enough. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that. We've seen similar incidents where during safety cars guys will do you know odd things um i don't know i just had it noted here i thought well i haven't seen that before um yeah uh so where things really get juicy i suppose um after leclerc battles with sergio perez and takes him over uh, we have lap 36, uh, Verstappen pits, but it's an 11.1 second stop. Uh, so it was supposed to be uh, kind of an uh, undercut deal here where, you know, you, you pit, you get out, and uh, eventually the people in front of you will have to pit, so you undercut them. Well, that all went to hell when, I don't, I don't know exactly what, what went wrong in the pit lane but 11 point sec- 11.1 seconds in formula one is a lifetime to be yeah in the pit. it was a wheel nut it was a okay. left front wheel nut and um 
for those of you who have extra time on your hands, um, just Google that. <laughs> if you saw the complexity of how that wheel nut goes on there, it's amazing that that doesn't happen more often. Um, if you can picture a very finely threaded hub and then the wheel nut itself, and then there's a series of, of flat, I would call them flat springs that kind of, once the nut goes past the flat springs, it, they pop out sort of to, as a safety check. And if you get that nut started the wrong way or cross threaded or not quite seated correctly, um, they were lucky to get out in 11 seconds. Sometimes that can stretch out even further. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't sad. I, anytime this guy no, gets I was happy. some kind of disadvantage, I'm, I'm cheering because, you know, <laughs> spice things up. Yeah. Do you still have a level on your little feed there underneath the picture? Yeah. Can you talk? Yeah. I'm talking. Am I, am I, I good? can hear you fine. For some reason, it just says offline by your name. Oh, well, I, I'm, I got everything. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. So yeah, All right. stop for him, and then not that it matters. I don't even know what position Vettel was in when he had a sixteen point eight second stop. Well, second, <laughs> yeah. he was in second. Right, so see, he got kind of screwed there too. Yeah, so I mean, he wouldn't have finished second just due to pitch strategy. Well, uh, he also wouldn't have lost, you know, like yeah, 11 places or whatever. Yeah, so he ends up finishing P seven uh after alonzo's penalty so it was in real time p8 but that cost him at least two or three positions there just kind of sad because you know it's his last you know go around here and he was looking i a podium wasn't totally out of the question at that point i would like uh, to see him get get on the podium before the end of the year i think he deserves yeah that would be great and you would have to think he's going to race like a bat out of hell for this, these last three races. What What does he have to lose? There's nothing to lose. I, I mean, you, if I'm Vettel, I'm balls to the wall from here on out. So, uh, yeah, so Hamilton took over the lead from Vettel at 41, and then we had that unfortunate, shall we say, pit stop for him. Uh, and then I wrote down right after that that Max is going to win. And I was correct in that, despite Hamilton being in the lead at the time. Max yeah. was on the medium compound uh, that was, I think, fresher. Or maybe I could be wrong there. But I know he was on the medium compound, Hamilton on the hard. Uh, that's not going to do you any favors when you're trying to fend him off. And lap 50, Verstappen overtakes Hamilton. And six laps later, he's five seconds ahead. Yeah, so we so didn't that's... have a ton of action in the front there. Uh, so, yeah, Max Verstappen wins this race. Uh, third or fourth win in a row now. And Red, a non-Red Bull driver hasn't won since July at this point, which isn't a great stat, although you have to factor in summer break there i suppose um we did have a pretty awesome battle um 
between Magnuson and Vettel, though, at the end. If you recall. Yeah, there was some there was a couple of good sections of the track to watch during the say the last quarter of this race. Um there was four or so cars that were battling pretty decently safe position P like six through I don't know, ten or eleven. So yeah. Yeah. It was that was fun to watch. Yeah, the last lap was really cool with Vettel and Magnuson. There's a video on F1 socials that has like the point of view for uh, Vettel during that last lap. It's pretty cool to see the whole thing of his overtake on Magnuson. And he was pretty excited at the end. And I think a lot of fans were for him yeah, as well. I didn't see that, but I'll I'll have to look it up because anytime uh, Oz gets some FaceTime, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so that's pretty much all the analysis. I don't know if you have any thoughts post race. Not for that race, no. I'm just I always like to look at the table after after a race. Um, you know, Leclerc and Perez still two points, uh, only two points spread in the drivers' championship. So anything can happen there. Uh, that would be for the two three. Leclerc is two, Perez is three, with a two point differential. I think everybody else is too far gone. Um, even if Russell were to do something incredible, he's at two eighteen right now. So, you know. I don't see that. I don't see anything after position three for the drivers' championship. I don't see anything really changing. Yeah, that one's uh, five six done is, five six is uh, Science and Ham and Hamilton. So that's, that's that's a four point. So there's still yeah, it could be some shuffling, I guess, for what it's worth. Mm -hmm. On the Trump constructor Stanley, side, yeah, that's over. Yeah, that one's over. Actually, it's this race clinched it. Red Bull Racing. Ends the reign of terror from Mercedes. That is eight years uh, of Mercedes dominance. We are done, and I think we might be entering a similar patch with Red Bull Racing. Well, and we, I can't speak to how awful that must have been to follow F1 the way we followed it, followed it this year when Mercedes was winning every every year so maybe the maybe there are people out there who are fine with red bull you know taking in a few in a row after mercedes all you i bet you saw hamilton probably as bad as bad as as badly as in the light as we see max right now i'm sure yeah it, honestly i i found myself during the early stage before red bull went totally ballistic rooting for them quite easily because uh, I wanted to see that Mercedes dominance done uh, at, at the, this point in the season. I would be lying if I said I wasn't a little tired of Red Bull at this point, but uh, it is nice just from a competitive standpoint to have a new team winning. Well, I, they've won before, but breaking this dynasty basically uh, next year, I definitely hope and expect 
much closer competition from Ferrari and Mercedes. Um, I, I don't think a team like Mercedes can let another year or will let a year like this happen again, personally. Um, Ferrari is more of a head case kind of team, so we'll have to see there. Um, but yeah, so Red Bull is your constructors champions this year. Um, speaking of Haas, they are dangerously close to giving up their eighth position in the constructors to Alpatari. Yeah, so Aston Martin's really had a good run here recently, so they've actually opened up a pretty wide gap in seventh. Yeah, so sixth, sixth, sixth and seventh, which is currently Alfa Romeo in sixth, Aston Martin in seventh is a one-point differential. And then yeah. Haas and Alpatari is a two-point. So depending on just, you know what, I... I, I'm asking you guys at Haas, can we just get in the top 10? I mean, I'm not asking for a miracle here, but let's finish. It would be so awesome to finish in the points, like the points points. Yeah. Um, and at least don't let Al- AlphaTauri, you know, beat you. Eight is eight is not the greatest position to be in the constructors, but it just seems like you've had a better car than AlphaTauri. Yeah, let's not lose to the Red Bull farm team. Exactly. All right, so there's your constructors and well drivers to standing updates for the week. We will be in Mexico this week. Is it this? It is this weekend. I'm pretty sure, right? Twenty eighth is uh, P one, I believe. Okay, so there you have it. Autodromo Hermanos. Rodriguez, whoever that is. Um, a 17-turn circuit with two DRS zones, a very long sector, one straight, and then another deadly 90-degree right-hand turn, <laughs> which goes into like a chicane, which is the first three turns. But yeah, this will be a fun start to watch also. All right. Um, Sweet. Yeah, just real quick. They actually had their first F1 uh, Grand Prix there in 1963, so one of the older circuits. 71 laps. Uh, circuit length is 4.30 kilometers for a total of 305 and change. Um, Valtteri Botas has the fastest lap. Apparently, he was quick. because he, He's got a lap record at several of the circuits here. Well, it helps when you're in a world champion Mercedes. Correct. Correct. So that's Mexico coming up. We'll have full coverage of that on the next show. Um, that I guess that's it for F1 this week, and we can get on to, to soccer talk. Yep. And we've got plenty to dive into. We're going to go to Scotland first. Uh, Hearts versus Celtic. Pretty big-time matchup as far as Scottish football goes. Hearts are kind of kind of seen as that uh, best-of-the-rest team, although not necessarily this season. Um, but any time the old firm comes to town, especially Celtic, Hearts are going to put in a, a shift, and a shift they put in. Uh, this one, seven-goal thriller, finishes 4-3. 
the lineups were as follows. Hart's lining up in a 4-1-4-1 formation. Craig Gordon in goal. Backline of Smith, Sibick, Kingsley, and Cochran with Nicky Devlin as the holding midfielder. In your midfield, uh, Ginelli, uh, oh, I'm going to butcher this one, Kyo Mortzoglu, Robert Snodgrass, and Barry Mackay. And you had Humphreys starting this match at striker. Eventually, that would be Lawrence Shanklin due to injury. Celtic lined up in their classic 4-3-3. Joe Hart in goal. Alexandro Burnaby getting the start at left back with Jens, Carter Vickers, and Ralston uh, making up that back four. Hatate, O'Reilly, Moy in the midfield. Attackers of Maeda, Jacamakis, and James Forrest. Uh, so, like I said, seven-goal thriller. Plenty of controversy in this one. What are your initial thoughts heading into this one? Um, Hearts played a, a pretty physical, quick-paced game. They were taking shots right off the rip. I think, you know, within the first eight minutes or so, they had a couple of decent shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, 14th minute heart had a great save they were just kind of relentlessly attack, attacking um, yeah they did they did come out swinging for sure and luckily joe hart is one of those better keepers um and he saves that chance from robert snodgrass so yeah hart's definitely coming out firing on all cylinders we had a pretty pretty rocking atmosphere i'd say at tyne castle with the rain coming down as well yeah and a lot of um a lot of celtic fans there as per usual so Mm -hmm. um there must have been a save in the 14th minute for uh for hearts and then in the same pretty close to the same minute uh forest uh had a sweet header in for celtic yeah that that opened up Opened up the scoring for us, for Celtic, to make it 1-0. And you were kind of, I I don't think I was really expecting Celtic to score at that point. It was kind of against the run of play where Hearts were, had most of your possession, well, not most of your possession, but most of your good chances at that point in the match. Um, and Hatate Passes to Anthony Ralston, the right back, who is able to pick out James Forrest. It takes a deflection off of a defender, uh, and Forrest is able to head it in to make it 1-0. Um, and the build that he is, which is not very short, or not very tall, uh, people were wondering if that was his first header ever uh, for Celtic. He scored 101 goals now for the club. Uh, and I, I have not seen him score a header, so we might have witnessed history with that one. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, I don't know if you had anything between that and, say, around the 21st minute. Celtic had a free kick, or a, I think it was a free kick opportunity, and the header header went the header went in, but 
as a result, it was called a no goal. And I don't know if that was because of a foul. I have to ask you. Yeah. So that's where VAR kind of, and again, first weekend of VAR in Scotland ever. Um, that's where VAR kind of reared its ugly head in this match. And it's fair to say it uh, kind of stole the, the headlines here in this match. So Ralston heads in a goal and everyone, you know, thinking 2-0 Celtic. Apparently Nick Walsh, the referee, spots a foul in the box. Uh, and the guy manning VAR must have too because... There was the review and the subsequent uh, taking off of the goal. For me, I didn't see a foul really in live live time, and you know, obviously, it didn't doesn't seem like you did either. Um, that was one of at least two instances where I, I felt Celtic were honestly kind of. Uh, I mean, VAR took away chances or provided hearts with chances that, you know, probably shouldn't have happened. Commentators, uh, obviously sharing their thoughts on VAR, not directly, but indirectly by complaining that it took too much time for any call to be made. Every time they went to VAR, (laughs) they were complaining that it was, this shouldn't take this long and what is the delay and, and, and so on and so forth. So clearly not fans. I don't think. Yeah, there was a lot. Scotland's probably the last of any major league to integrate this technology. And I think there's a lot of hesitation from the fans. Um, and I got to say the fans are looking pretty good in their claims right now. Uh, I, I, don't really have any beef with VAR being a thing. And we've had this discussion before. This is kind of like, uh, as American sports fans, this has been something we've had for a long time. Um, so yeah, the problem is it's taking way too long to actually review these calls. Um, and just quite no real consistency. I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And just this is week one of VAR in Scotland. So let's hopefully fine tune some things as we go along. Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, apparently, one of the situations that can occur with, with this video replay officiating is the guys that are in the booth, so to speak, or, Mm -hmm. you know, wherever they're at, whatever cave they're in or yeah, they can, they can kick it back to the on field referee and say, no, you, you need to go over to your screen. Yeah. And and make the call after we've, you know, sort of discussed it for two and a half or three minutes, we're going to make you go over to your screen and it's, it's going to have to be your call. Yeah. And that's what, uh, I what I would like to see is, hey, this one is a close one. Let's just go to your monitor and check it out. Not, I'm gonna look at it for two minutes and then I'm gonna go. Okay, maybe you should look at it for another two minutes now. It, let's let's streamline the process right. a little. 
if you if the guys in the booth have already looked at it then make the call yeah video is not going to change doesn't matter who's looking at it I yeah I, I, so. I just want to see some streamlining and more consistency uh, back to the on-field action uh, this this uh, match kind of turns on its head when Hart's striker has to come off due to injury and Lawrence Shankland comes on in the 39th minute um, he ends up with a hat trick in this match three goals takes home the match ball uh, ironically, after losing, which you don't often see. Um, but our next kind of big event, and then another VAR instance, uh, the 45th plus three minutes of added time, uh, hearts are awarded a penalty kick there. And that was, um, you know, kind of a bang-bang play. Uh, if you remember, Devlin kind of, kicks Carter Vickers and they're both going for the ball and it's sort of like well I don't know of course it's called a penalty which this one is really on a knife's edge for me I could kind of see it going either way honestly if I were the ref I would wave play on but you called the foul and then we're getting another three minute delay and go to the screen, blah, 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 and we're awarded the penalty for Hearts, and Shanklin makes it 1-1 just before the half. Right. I have sort of the same kind of information there on that. Um, then this second half really comes out with a bang and never really cools off. It just pretty crazy. Yeah, so a, a lot of back and forth just before and just before the end of the first half we have kind of our last VAR nonsense uh the handball shout um Forrest drives into the box and there's an obvious handball from Hearts um and VAR well I don't even think it goes to VAR um and if it does, they rule no handball given and Ange, big Ange on the sideline. All he can do is laugh there. Uh, a call that really makes no sense. But that's the last of the VAR kind of talk, I guess. So we can move into the second half action. Yeah. Uh, 47th minute. Shanklin again. Um, scores. I don't have a lot of color on the goal, but yeah, just a, a cross coming in from Ginelli, Ginelli, Ginelli. I don't know, but the solid cross, and it, it kind of felt like we had some defenders falling asleep uh, there. So that made it one, uh, two, one actually. Hearts. Yeah. Yeah. And the crowd was into it. Yeah, there was there was the atmosphere was pretty great throughout. There was I noticed an instance where Anthony Ralston of Celtic was trying to get a ball that went out of play for a throw in, and it went into the Hearts crowd, and they just like beamed it back to him like super hard, just trying to rev him up. 
uh, he didn't really fall into that one, but you know, hostile place to play at. Uh, but the next the next goal comes in the 55th minute, and that one was from uh, Yakimakis, and that cross comes in from Moy on a corner uh, to make it two two. So we got a, a night. Go ahead. Yeah, just a minute or two before that, uh, Moy had a pretty sweet shot or a near miss. Yeah, there were a couple near misses for Celtic, and you know. As we have seen throughout the season, uh, we've had quite a few games where Celtic have have gone down or you know conceded a goal, but they, but they come back, come back and, and fire on fire. all cylinders, going to overdrive. Basically, uh, you never really feel like Celtic are gonna lose a game domestically, even if they do end up conceding goals um so in the 61st minute we have our next kind of controversy i suppose that's when moritz jens puts a challenge on cochran which ends up being a penalty um the 62nd minute so a minute later shanklin penalty is initially saved but the rebound goes back to a hearts player who puts it in to make it 2-2, two, two. but uh, if you recall, the, the penalty had to be retaken due to encroachment. Um, yeah, I, I have that a little bit at 60, 62nd minute, but mm-hmm. we've already, um, hopefully I don't have my timeline off here, but in the 59th Oh, yeah, I totally missed that. Moy takes a shot and kind of bounces off the keeper and then Maida scores. That's two goals in less than four minutes and that makes three two Celtic. Yeah, I I totally <laughs> kind of the nature of this this game, I guess. I totally missed that on my notes. I had a bunch of scribbles about goals and I I just overlooked that. But yeah, and uh, Maeda's a player that has kind of been in a rough patch of form recently but uh able to convert there and you'll you're hoping uh that he can continue that good form so but, three two three two at that point and then in the 61st minute uh celtic gets a penalty hearts pk shanklin uh saved saved by joe hart but then janelli taps taps it in so Hart makes a rare a save where he can't gather the ball up he's just trying to deflect it and Janelli actually taps it in for the goal that makes it 3-3 then now we're up to where VAR takes the goal away because mm-hmm. of the encouragement is what I have yeah um re-kicks the PK and then Shanklin's second attempt is good so it went 3-3, three, three, no, 3-2, three, then 3-3, three, three, uh, yeah. ends up 3-3. Three, three. Um, it's real topsy-turvy. Yeah. Yeah, so what were you going to say there? Just Nothing. I mean, oh, okay. uh, nothing. It's just kind of there was a lot of stuff going on between the 59th minute and, say, the 65th or so minute. Yeah, I mean, 
this one was really you really couldn't look away because there was something going on for most of the second half. Uh, I guess the climax of this match would be Greg Taylor's goal, which I have at the 76th minute, which makes it 4-3. That comes off a deflection from an initial shot from Leo Labada, and Taylor basically is right place, right time, and taps it home. Um, So... Yeah, at, at that you know, at that point you're thinking, okay, I don't foresee Celtic giving up this lead. Uh, some great celebrations near the away end, which is always sweet to see. Um, I mean, this this game was really just nonstop action. Yeah, it was good. It was fun to watch. Um, I w- I wish because of the time of time on my weekends that I could watch them either live or shortly after. Yeah. Um, to have to wait three or four days sucks because you're trying not, not to look at any kind of <laughs> feeds or anything. I usually end up seeing the score before I watch the game, which kind of sucks. It, yeah. I, I realized I kind of blew it because I posted it, but I'll have to refrain. I know Celtic are playing this Sunday at 8 a.m. Uh, so, so slightly better than usual due to some time change. Uh, Europe is usually later on their time changes than we are. Yeah, so I'm trying to decide, and it's probably not likely. If you were home, I probably I might try to go up to uh, watch the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's... I don't know. I think we have trick or treat the night before or something. Um, that's yeah. a 6 a.m. call on a Sunday to get up there by eight. <laughs> so I'm not real. Yeah. Down with that. I mean, if you were here, I would do it, but we need yeah, to try we'll... to maybe catch another game with those guys. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'll have to see. Uh, I'd like to go again before the World Cup because then you kind of have a month of no club football so we'll have to look into that yeah so that was taylor's first goal for celtic by the way really i did not i don't think i knew that actually Uh, you can check it but i'm pretty sure that's the case Um, no i i'm sure it is because you know left back not often going to be in a scoring position yeah then i have not too in the 80th minute o'reilly hits uh Nearly hits Abada twice, and they almost scored a fifth goal, um, but not to be. Just some near misses. Not the timing wasn't quite there, but they were still taking shots like they were <laughs> three goals down. You know. Yeah, they really don't ever stop their attack, which is even just from a neutral point of view makes for an entertaining watch every time they play. And so you know in conjunction with those two shots in the 80th minute that Abada takes one, two, then in 94, in the 94th minute in extra time, Abada again, uh, attempts to score, makes the, makes the kick, uh, successfully into the goal, but then, uh, VAR calls offside. Yeah. And that was another one where I don't really think he was offside. And I, I just don't really know. I feel like, I wasn't even watching the same feed as these referees 
So, yeah, it probably should have been 5-3, but certainly not complaining about a 4-3 win uh, come from behind on the road for Celtic. Uh, and that, just going to take a quick peek at the table here in Scotland. Um, Celtic and Rangers have pretty put themselves firmly above the rest at this point. Um Celtic are in first with 30 points. Rangers actually dropped points at home to Livingston. Uh, that was a 1-1 draw there. So Celtic opened up a four-point gap on Rangers in second with 26. And then you have Aberdeen and St. Mirren on 19. So we are shaping up to have a pretty solid title race between Celtic and Rangers, I would imagine. Yeah, um, looking forward to, you know, the rest of the, I don't know, season, whatever you want to call it, in that league. Yeah. It's always been fun to watch. I'm, I am catching some games um, early on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, if I get a chance, usually if, if I'm, you know, having coffee or something, I can catch at least one early game. Yeah regardless of who it is or whatever, but uh, I yeah. only have uh, only had time for highlights on the Newcastle Spurs game, so that's I fine. Stuff here, but uh, most of it will probably be your takes, I would think. Yeah, not a problem. I, I wanted to cover this one because I, special shout out to my good friend Jaden Watkins here at Otterbein, big Newcastle enthusiast, so I I wanted to cover this one for him. Uh, another another pretty fun match, I would have to say. Uh, Newcastle and Spurs at this point in time are probably pretty comparable in quality, uh, so this made for a pretty competitive match. Um, and I'll just run through the lineup here. Uh, T- Tottenham Hotspur lining up in a 3-5-2. You had Lloris, Sanchez, Dyer, Longley as your defensive players. Emerson Royale, Oliver Skip, uh, Basuma, Bentoncourt, and Ryan Sessegnon in your midfield with Harry Kane and Sun Hyung Min in your attack. Newcastle in a 4-3-3. That's Pope in goal. Byrne, Boltman, Cher, and Trippier in your Back four, Willock, Gimaraj, and Longstaff in your midfield. Joe Linton, Callum Wilson, and Miguel Almiron making up your attack. Uh, third minute of play, Son, shot hits the bar. Uh, great interplay between him and Harry Kane, uh, playing a deep ball through to Royale. Emerson Royale, who sets up that uh, shot. Uh, Spurs definitely on the front foot early in this one. Uh, the crowd was definitely into it. Their relatively new NFL-grade facility, that's where your NFL London games take takes place. Uh, let's see. Fourth minute, Joe Linton goes down in the box. Uh, but there's no penalty awarded there. 
uh, in the 11th minute. There's a chance for Spurs. Uh, Kane and Son had this good interplay going on for most of this match, as they usually do. Uh, and Son looks to chip Nick Pope, uh, but uh, Pope is able to make a save there. And a really balanced first 15 minutes, all in all, here. Uh, our first goal comes in the 31st minute. Uh, I would say Hugo Lloris, the goalkeeper for Spurs, gets bodied off the ball. Bullied, shall we say, by Callum Wilson for this goal. And uh, it's kind of a... A long-range shot just based off of where the the play took place uh i'm assuming you saw that one on the highlight reel pretty sweet goal yeah um i did and i i also had a note just prior to that that harry kane has some of the most incredible footwork that i've seen Mm -hmm. (laughs) um just i mean he's he's really fun to watch I don't have any idea what any of the moves are necessarily, but just real speedy feet from Kane. Yeah, he, he's one of the most creative strikers you're likely to see. And you you see him in this match kind of playing deep too. He's a real playmaker where a lot of times you'll have a striker who kind of just sits up front or sits in the box and is waiting for a ball to come to him where Harry Kane is more of a proactive striker looking to create more than just put chances away. Um, was, was the keeper for Spur, the Spurs looking for a call? When he so, yeah, there was that VAR, uh, let's say, review. And, yeah, he was looking for a call. A lot of times, goalkeepers will always get the call, like every single time. The, the lightest of touch and they'll give the goalkeeper the call not not there surprisingly though and you see Callum Wilson like there's nowhere to go for him he's running towards the ball and he does actually try to slow down and stop and he just bullies Larice off the ball no call wide open net he fires and it's a goal mm-hmm. so yeah uh, maybe not the best physicality or I don't know maybe you I personally wouldn't quit on that play as much as Larice did um we got to talk a little bit about Miguel Almiron who gets a goal in the 40th minute he's on a real tear right now for Newcastle uh something like five goals in the past six games or something like that and five goals is the most he's ever had in a season for Newcastle he's been there four not four complete seasons this is his fourth he's actually an export from mls he played and won a mls cup with atlanta united before heading to newcastle so i always kept a close eye on his career development that 40th minute goal kind of just a solo run from miguel amiron who completely blows past uh long and places it perfectly in that side netting, a real impressive shot yeah. and run from Almiron. Um, 
Spurs were still looking dangerous despite being 2-0 down, and they do make things interesting um, in that second half. Uh, the rain really picked up in the second half. It was monsoon-esque. It was really coming down, which usually makes for sloppier play, obviously. But uh, their 52nd minute, we have a penalty shout. Uh, Emerson Royale handball, which is not given. And then shortly after, in the 54th minute, you have your goal from Harry Kane uh, on a header off of a corner. Definitely well-deserved, and you spoke of his incredible footwork uh, and creativity. Uh, Harry Kane likely to score almost every time you watch him, so definitely a player to look out for in the future. Um, 50... And, after this goal, it was more of just a tense kind of Newcastle uh, trying to kind of keep the win, hold off on the pressure. Um, so in the 57th minute, Joe Willock of Newcastle plays a ball for Wilson that goes off his foot. Uh, could have been a, a goal, but was probably offside. And then in the 67th minute, the press from Newcastle allows... Fabian share to get a shot on target. Um, but that's really the last note I had on that match because, like I said, not a whole lot of offensive uh, things happening. More of uh, Spurs trying to pick the lock of Newcastle's defense and not succeeding. So Newcastle end up winning this match. Um and they would climb to fourth in the table now, just behind Spurs, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, just going to give it a quick gander now. Uh, so Newcastle are in fourth on 21 points with Tottenham just ahead of them in 23rd. Um, we saw this weekend Arsenal drop points to Southampton, who... Arsenal are in first at the moment, but the gap has now shrunk to two points with Man City uh, trailing in second. So that will definitely be heating up most certainly uh, pretty close from about first to fifth, only uh, seven points between that. So should be hopefully in West Man City start to kind of blow blow things up in the Premier League. Could be a pretty solid title race for us this season. Yeah, I I just it felt like Newcastle had a lot more shots on goal, maybe outshot the Spurs by a ton. I don't know possession-wise if if that if it was that lopsided. I don't think so. It looked like both teams had a pretty fair go at mm-hmm. it. Seemed like Newcastle had taken a lot more shots. Yeah, it was it was definitely a a, a deserved win, let's say, for Newcastle. Uh, about I'm looking at the stats about fifty fifty possession wise, uh, pretty much uh, seventeen total shots for Spurs to Newcastle's thirteen. So I mean, really. Oh. Yeah, but I mean, really no difference there. So 
a nice hotly contested Premier League match. Good stuff. Yeah, so that's our uh, duties that we've gotten through for this podcast. Um, Looking ahead on the soccer side of things, I think we might go stateside this weekend because we have MLS Cup playoff action going on, and for some reason I can't. Fun- oh, here we go. So Sunday, October 30th, we have LAFC taking on Austin FC in the MLS Cup Western Conference Final, and then we have Philadelphia versus NYCFC in the East. So winners of those games will head to the MLS Cup Championship game. So uh, I will probably... Be co- we'll be cover at least one of those, I would say. Um, so just keep your eyes out on that. Okay. All right. Well, all right. I think that's all we yeah. got. Yep. Oops. Well, if we don't have anything else here for Richard Tanaka, executive producers Jason Berner and Roger. Rob Plotz, Copyright Studio 2520, 2022. This has been Tackling the Chicane.